what do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. We want to thank you and welcome you to the Niche Finder framework. As you know, for those who have listened up until this point, this podcast is mainly focused on you, the listener. And the goal is to share with experts or have our experts share with you their journey. We believe that the difference between where you are and where you want to be, there's a divide and the separation that gets bridged with uh, what we call a bridge of know-how. And so if you can learn from a path that's been carved out by others, then it may help to accelerate the journey that you're currently on. That's really the goal of the Niche Finder framework. And so with that being the backdrop, let me introduce to you our very first guest for the new year. <laughs> All right, we bring it into 2021 with a ring and with an official person, someone who I, I deeply admire. I met him while I was in grad school, big up to the Rutgers Executive MBA program. We have Dr. James Smith, AKA Dr. Energy, um, who's written several books. He's a speaker. He is a, a leader extraordinaire. He mentors, he counsels, he does everything that he possibly can to help others develop. And I'll let him tell his story um, because he, what he does as far as storytelling, this is what he does for a living. And so I, every, my inspirations for wanting to be a better storyteller is really rooted in some of the lessons that I learned from him. So without further ado, I want to introduce to our Niche Finder movement and our Niche Finder family, Dr. Energy himself, Dr. James Smith. Welcome to the program. <laughs> Yo, Clifton, what an honor, what a privilege, what a blessing, what an opportunity. Thank you for squeezing me into your tight schedule. <laughs> well, we make time. We will make time for you, Dr. Smith, anytime. And we appreciate you again availing yourself. Uh, we're going to get right into it. We want to get some backdrop of your journey. And so just starting this off, can you give us a little bit of insight into why your backstory is important to you? But even more so, what do you think would be, why would the, the audience have a vested interest in what you have to share from your journey? Sure, sure. 
Upon graduation from college, I did 14 years in corporate. And during the course of that journey, at some point I realized that this is not for me. Nine to five, eight to late, uh, someone else's opinion of me becoming my reality, I realized that's not for me. So I, I started paying attention to the, the vendors who came in to do professional development sessions for, for my team. And I realized that I could do that probably could do that better than them. So I started studying them, researching them, actually connecting with them to find out how they got there and what they do. Because I knew at some point I was going to leave corporate to do the same thing. And eventually I did, moved into my own and uh, watching all those other vendors and, and just learning under them paved the way for me to essentially be where I am today. What did you want to accomplish at the very start of your journey? Now, if I go back to my journey, I, I just wanted to give. You know, I'm pretty selfless. I like to pour into people. And while I was doing my corporate work for 14 years, I realized it was situational. I was doing it for my organization, for the people that came to the sessions. But I thought that my, my platform was bigger. My canvas was bigger. So I said, at some point, I want to do this big. And not just nationally, internationally. I just wanted to do it big. I wanted to give. I wanted to help. I wanted to give. I wanted to help others move. My first book is called From Average to Awesome. I wanted to move people from place from average to awesome. I wanted them to become, become allergic to mediocrity. Mm. And I wanted to do it in an experiential, life-changing way. So did you have any external struggles as you were embarking on this journey that you found yourself on? Gosh, external. It's just getting the platform, getting the people. I'm learning the business, the business plan, the marketing plan, the sales plan, the scalability plan, and just surrounding yourself with A players. With C and B players can only get you so far, but surrounding yourself with people who not only are good, people who believe in what you believe. See your dream and make it a part of their dream. We'll see your vision and create their vision with your vision. I guess my external challenges or opportunities was surrounding myself with people with the same gusto, the same energy, the same vision, the same belief, you know, the same spirit that I had. And it took some time to get those, to acquire those people. Yeah. And what about internal struggles? Wow, Clifton, internally, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have too many. Let me tell you, my mother, Nancy Smith, I'm older than you, so I'm dating myself. But if you can go back to the movie An Officer and a Gentleman, there was a role that Lou Gossett played. He was the drill instructor. He was tough at nails, as nails. My mother could have played that role. She was tough. She put the T in tough. <laughs> K through 12 without missing a day of school. From every day, it was get up, get it in. Saturdays, you weren't sleeping in. There was work to be done. But she poured into me that aspect around getting it done, getting it in. And it paved the way. I'm probably the only person in the United States who attended four years of college without missing a day of class. I just thought I had to be there. I had to be there front row taking notes because if I did not, it would detract from my journey. And 
My last book, the one I wrote, was called The No Excuse Guide to Success, No Matter What Your Boss or Life Throws at You. No excuses, personal accountability, responsibility, owning your choices. And that's how I was I was raised, I was geared. So from an internal standpoint, with regard to owning your choices, accountability, responsibility, it was there. I would say any other challenges that I had was around internally, how do I deal with a system that does not promote and accelerate and help people who look like me? Mm. I live in a world of institutionalized racism. So as a black male with talent in an organization in a company, how do I get in? How do I break boundaries? How do I make a difference? And in my mind, I kept telling myself stories around do this, do that. They're not going to like you. They're not going to embrace you. Go along, collusion, get along, just get them to feel you. So I would say it was a constant conversation with myself around how do I get in? How truly am I to myself or what do I do to get in? So I say that would be the internal struggle. What I hear you saying is from your upbringing and even it translated into college that you had some internal motivation. And and I, I almost hear you saying as well, the external environment in which you find yourself using this internal motivation became in conflict to the point where it almost sounds like you had to have a war within yourself to say, you know what, I kind of feel like there's some pressure coming from this institutional racism, as you put it. But you also know that you had something to offer. How was that conflict reconciled? And at what point did you get to that epiphany that you needed? This <laughs> is funny. Again, I'm dating myself. I'm probably the oldest person listening to this broadcast right now. But in 1979, when I graduated from high school, the number one song of that year was McFadden and the Whitehead. Ain't no stopping us now. We're on the groove. And that, that was my that was my group. Nothing's going to stop me. Right. But to your question, when did I reconcile? That was 1979. It wasn't until 2020, last year, where I'm watching MSNBC and I'm listening to the coverage of George Floyd's murder, where it hit me, I had this epiphany. And here's the epiphany. I'm sitting there watching now. I don't have any grandchildren, but in my epiphany, I'm sitting there watching the coverage and my grandchildren sat on my lap. Again, I don't have any, but in this epiphany, they sat on my lap and they said, Papa, what did you do after George Floyd was murdered? What did you do to help the community? And at that juncture, I, I didn't have an answer. And even though I've been doing inclusion, diversity, equity work, for a number of years, that work, for the most part, happened within the corporate confines where it was internal, but I had not done anything external, no marches, no speeches. And at that juncture, I said, all right, it's time for me to do something because I've been asking for the politicians, the athletes, the entertainers, you name it. You guys need to do something. But I realized at that junction, with no grandchildren, but in my epiphany, I had some, that I've been colluding, i.e. going along to get along. And I've been hearing from my clients, from my white colleagues, from others, 
egregious statements and comments that I did not agree with, but I did not call them on it. And I said, if I'm going to make the rest of my life the best of my life, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to step into my integrity and I'm going to be, I'm going to move from ally to advocate Kate mm. for justice for civil rights for people who look like me in corporate nonprofits wherever they are I'm going to be an advocate playing a role in their journey and helping them grow and I think that's so powerful especially in light of the George Floyd murder and so many other murders prior to that I mean this was probably the breaking point I believe for our society but I, I find it so interesting that you know there was this notion as if one could not be positive and speak about these things but awareness is positive you can heighten somebody's awareness around some inequity that's going on that's impacting a certain group that's positive no it's positive but i find that with my my white colleagues and my white friends and my white clients when you go there they listen to defend to deflect that's not me many of them don't realize that if you're not for a cause you're against a cause whether it's verbal nonverbal you may not be a bad person hey you're not but because of the institutionalized systems that are in place if you're not playing a role in dismantling those systems you're essentially going along with them wow and positioning that conversation is very gentle because these are people who are nice, who are good, who want the best for you, but they're benefiting from a system that creates certain privileges for them. Privileges that I, I never called people on before because I didn't want to lose the contract. I didn't want to lose the friendship. I didn't want to lose the alliance. But 2020, with regard to vision, character building, clarity, I said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to help aid with the clarity. What they do with it, it's up to them, but they can no longer say, I didn't understand, I didn't know, I didn't see. Yet, you understand now, because I've given you an explanation to understand. What you do with it, it's up to you. And, and Clifton, that's powerful for me because I've been in this, this journey, this workplace, this consultingship for 30 plus years. And I sat on that stuff. I focused on performance, not necessarily systems, beliefs, but I'm there now. What happens going forward? <laughs> so I, I love it. I love that the epiphany brought you to a portion of your journey that it almost sounds like there is something that was reinvented in how you interact with people. Was there any anything else that you think led to a transformation within your journey? Well, it made me reflect on a huge part of my life. I've been to schools that were mostly all black or all white. I know how to be Jackie Robinson, <laughs> where I'm representing my culture, my group of people. But what it did for me is sadly had me basically say, yo, dude, you've been going along to get along. You play hard, you're all in, 
You're knocking down walls, you're breaking barriers, you're being a pioneer, but you're doing it in a solo way. Right. It's for your accomplishment, your achievement, your goals. But when you think about it, people need to realize, especially pioneers, AKA Jackie Robinson, what you go through is not for you. It's for the people who are gonna benefit as a result of you knocking down that door. I didn't fully embrace that until last year because I have a platform you know I've traveled nationally internationally I've written a number of books but it was around me my company growing to be the best but I was losing sight of who else can benefit from this and to keep an eye and ear out for bringing others along on this journey that's the advocacy part that I'm now into and not just the professional development, personal development. Yeah, I can do that. But I believe I was put on this earth to do something. This is my ministry. This is not no longer my profession. This is my ministry. Yeah, as many people along as I can. And that's what I'm doing. And I feel more inspired, more empowered to do that. Well, awesome. And I, you know, I want to commend you for making that it sounds like even an evolution uh, within your own uh, practice. Um, there is a quote that I, Muhammad Ali actually says, and, and I have to paraphrase, but in essence, he was saying, you know, if you are thinking at 50, the same way you thought when you were 20, then you wasted 30 years. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know, and I kept paraphrasing it. And so I love the fact that you, even if it's 2020, you know, recent past, that you found something that ignited in you to say, you know what? I got more to give. And some of these things that I've been sidestepping, I think, needs to be put to the forefront. And that in and of itself is 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 commendable. I would, like, I would like in this section to to talk about now. So kind of drill down on your niche. And so by niche, I give you a little bit of a background of this. You know, I, I believe that when we look at successful people, we oftentimes hear them at award ceremonies or when some speech they talk about that small little nugget that they had way back in the very beginning. Uh, and when it was there in the beginning, a lot of people may have overlooked it. It was that one little thing that they did, but it seemed to be tethered to their future. Uh, and so instead of looking back, I, instead of doing it and, and kind of overlooking those small nuggets, I want to talk about it. So, you know, your passions, things that you do that you feel purposeful patterns, proficiencies, and also things that you people come to you to solve problems. This is what we call the 5P framework or the niche finder framework. And so questions around this, I would love to just get your thoughts on going back to your very beginning. This is your younger self. This is your current self talking to your younger self. What kind of passion, <laughs> what kind of passions do you have or strong interests do you see you had in your younger self that you currently say this is a superpower of mine in my current self phenomenal question phenomenal and it's easy for me and i'll give you two examples of the past and how it plays a role in now my teachers in grade school would always say sit down and be quiet james sit down and be quiet now i would get good grades and citizenship and getting my work done and, and whatever the the subject matter was but when it came to work habits <laughs> work habits 
I'm running my mouth. I'm getting up. I'm class clown. I make people laugh. I'm James, ow! Here it is. I'm 59 years old, and I'm still running my mouth, inspiring people, making it happen. So that was at age six, seven, eight, nine. I was doing that. And I'm still doing it now, although I've cultivated my approach. But there was a degree of getting out there, speaking what's on my mind, lifting people up, elevating them, modeling mm. my message. So I did that a long time ago. And here's, here's another example, Clifton. Right, long story, sh- real short. My baseball team in the championship, the age for this league was age 10 to 12. And I was 12 years old at the time. And my nickname was Little Jimmy with the big head. Yeah, I, I had a big <laughs> head on this skinny body, you know. One of those heads that pulled out. Yeah, huge. But that's all right. But one day I would grow into it. But we're in the championship game. The series is tied one game to one. We're in the bottom of the seventh. We only played seven innings now. Bottom of the seventh. The score is tied one to one. The series tied one to one. There's the best two out of three. Mm. I lead off. I get a base hit. Yeah. But now I'm in first base and I'm thinking, I'm going to be the his hero. Well, back to the hero, but now it's the his hero. So I look at my coach whether I should steal to go to second and he gave me the signals that said, stay where you are. And I didn't go. Next guy up, struck out. So I look at my coach again. He gives me the signals again. Don't steal. Next guy pop up to the picture. But now it's two outs. I'm still on first. And my coach is playing it safe. Mm. All right. Now this is little Jimmy with the big head. Okay. Knowing that one day he's going to be interviewed by Clifton on his podcast. (laughs) Motivational speaker. He needs a story. So I ran and I stole second. Safe. And the coach gave me that look like I'm in second. I'm on second. I'm in scoring position. The coach is admonishing me not to try to steal third. The next guy came up. He crushed it on the line. Base hit the center field. One hop. The center fielder picked it up and motioned himself to throw into home. Now I'm rounding third. And my coach said, no. And I did one of those. What you talking what? about? Really? <laughs> and I rounded third. Now I'm running for home. Now I see Clifton. I see the ball beat me. And the catcher is, has it. Right. It has the ball. And I'm halfway there. Now here's where I digress. This is age 10 to 12. Their catcher looks like he's 25. Right. He has a mustache. <laughs> he has a little beard. He's like six two. His <laughs> protector doesn't fit. He doesn't have any any arm leg guards on. He looks like Shaquille O'Neal's son. They <laughs> said he was baby Shaq. Right, right. And th- throughout the season, I was all I would always tell my coach, 
get his birth certificate. That's it. You need to check that age. <laughs> he's old. He's old. But now I'm rounding third. Coming in, baby Shaq has the ball. Looking like he's 37 years old. <laughs> and I knew that if I slid, I was out. If I just slowed up, I was out. And this man looks like my grandfather. However, the only way I can conceivably create an opportunity for me to be safe is to knock him down. Now again, I'm 12 years old, skinny Jimmy with the big head. But I got baby Shaq in front of me. The cliffs, I ran in. Almost like a Rocky movie. Dun, 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 dun. And I ran into him. Ah! And like ice cream on a hot day on an ice cream cone, I just slithered down. <laughs> I fell down. I was in major pain. I'm calling for the ambulance. And my teacher saying, touch the plate. Touch the plate. So I touched the plate. The umpire came over and said, you are safe. Whoa. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what happened? What happened? Baby Shaq, upon my feeble impact, wow. dropped the ball. Wow. So I was safe. We won the game. Wow. Championship. I'm the hero. But that story in itself describes how I live my life. I go in hard, hard. But where there's an opportunity... Where there's an obstacle, I see an opportunity. Where there's a problem, I see a possibility. And I go in, and we'll see what happens. And I've been doing, and that was 12 years old. I'm 59, and I haven't changed my approach. I'm going in hard to create possibilities for myself. That's what I do. And so I hear with that second part of that, you actually answer, um, one of the, 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 the questions that I have here, which is about patterns. And this is the question that's more about what do we do naturally that is successful for us? So I'm going to say that second part of that, that answer that you just gave, which is a phenomenal story. I love it as a pattern, something that you do naturally. But now I want to look at the same coin, different side and, and hear a little bit about what do you find that's, that you're proficient at? And what I mean by a different side of the same coin, where patterns talk about our natural tendencies that we're good at. Proficiencies are the things that we've done it so often that we became good at it. And so what what examples can you share of your proficiencies? A long time ago, a person who I said poured into me, my mom, she said, you know, don't give people bullets because they already have guns which meant to me, don't give them reasons to say, you can't be on the team, you can't be on the project, you can't move forward with us. But one of my patterns is never to make an excuse, never to be late, never to not fulfill a assignment that I've been given, not to do what I've been asked. Because if I did not do it, I'm giving them bullets. I'm not going to give you a reason to exclude me. That's number one. Number two, a pattern has been not only be there early, be in the front row and tilt the room when you walk in. Where 
they know you're there. In life, they say, some people light up a room when they walk in, and some people light up a room when they walk out. Yeah. I want to be that person who lights up the room, who tilts the floor, who makes a difference upon entry. You're going to feel me. It's another pattern. And, you know, Clifton, I, I know that. I know where I live. I know organizations. I know the institutionalized isms that are there. And I know that some people are intimidated by virtue of what I look like, what I sound like. Not just making them comfortable, but making them feel safe to want to pour in, want to ask those questions. There are so many things operating during meetings, during trainings, during podcasts, during Zoom calls, during webinars. I'm working overtime before I get there and working overtime during the session and working overtime after the session. So there's a lot of things, emotional intelligence, social intelligence that are going on to get people open to receive my gift and want to embrace it and want more from it. So those are the pet. I know that the world is not equal. Darn, but I'm not going to say that's wrong. I'm going to say, all right, here are the cards that I have. Play them. This is the hand that I've been given. Play them. If I go victim, woe is me. I'm not taking advantage of the opportunity that's been afforded me. And I've been working in healthcare for about 20 years. And wow. um, <laughs> you're a healthcare expert, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Um, and I enjoy what I do. I enjoy helping people. But one thing that I learned by working in radiology and working with x-ray students is that every year we would have a graduating class of x-ray students. And every year they would be a group of students. I would call them the top 20 percent who would be having jobs on, you know, offers. Right. From the same class, same period, same environment. I would call the bottom 20 percent who would be essentially not working for weeks on end after they graduated. The only thing that separated the two was that drive, that passion, that what you just mentioned. And it's the same environment that they're working in or looking for jobs. You know, again, the top 20% have so many jobs, offers, actually referring job offers out to friends to say, look, I got enough on my plate. I, I can't work like this. And so I think having that right drive, having the right focus is so important. All giving the same amount of time is the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we maximizing what we When it comes down to problem solving, what people bring to you because they know that you have a unique way of solving it? For me, it's simple, but people make it a lot harder. Okay. It's how do they see the problem and what is the story they created about the problem? For instance, Clifton, if you and I were walking down the hallway and I see you and you don't speak, some people would say, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? Did I say something against him? Did I make him mad? Why didn't he speak to me? Oh my gosh, what can I do? Where the only thing that happened was you didn't speak, but we give power and create a story around what had happened was. Yeah. If we look at the problem and just the problem and not create the auxiliary story, that's what we do. We spend our life, our time focusing on the auxiliary story. 
And 99% of the time, that story is negative. So we're trying to fix a negative, a story that might not even be accurate. So if we just focus on what exists, here's the challenge. Let's work on it. Not all the other thoughts and auxiliary epiphanies and what if and that. No, 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 no. That's making it more challenging. Here is your challenge. Your people in your organization, in your department, are not motivated right now. They are not feeling empowered. They don't feel the trust. And they are living in uncertainty. If we focus on that, not they don't like me, they don't like the company, they don't want to work here. No, 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 no. They're not feeling empowered. They don't feel a trust. Focus on what exists, not on the external. You'll make life a lot easier for yourself. So that's what I focus on. And that's what I tell people. Get rid of the stories. Get rid of the stories because a great majority of those stories are negative. Because imagine, I'm sure you heard this before. Someone walks into a room and everybody's talking. And as soon as they walk in, people stop talking. The first thing they say was, they were talking about me. No, they just stopped talking. But because you said they were talking about me, You've now created another phenomenon that you now have to work through. The only thing that happened was when you walked in, they stopped talking. Don't give meaning to that. We give meaning to stuff. And once we give that meaning to stuff, that stuff then takes over our mindset, our approach, how we live, what we do. And now we're dealing with stories, right? Rather than facts. I love that. And and I can almost tie it back to something that you were saying earlier and put a positive spin on it and say, when somebody, when you're walking into the room, if everybody stops talking, it could be that you're tilting the room. You know? There you go. There you go. There you go. Yay! Yay! See money. See money in the house. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) All right. So, you know, the, the last segment that we have here, again, is talking to your younger self. But now you're going to be giving your younger self secrets. So we, we've talked about the awareness now, giving your younger self secrets. So now just to give a little bit of backdrops to those who are listening, we're talking to um, Dr. Energy himself, Dr. James Smith. This is someone who is a teacher extraordinaire. He teaches for executive MBA uh, program at Rutgers University in Newark, New Jersey, as well as the international executive MBA program. That is uh, one of the multiple locations that you've been to. Singapore, Beijing, Shanghai. <laughs> it's helped me see the world. All right. And he's also authored four four different books. He is a motivational speaker. He is a life coach. He is just an, an overall just positive and really good person. But he has he has progressed to this point, as you heard in the interview a little bit earlier. So now the secrets that you would give to your pre-niche self, what would you give to them as um, some information that will help to accelerate progress of where they find themselves at that point to accelerate where you are today? If, if I go back to the past, my parents were divorced when I was 11, so there was no father figure there. And I really connected with my, my, te- my male teachers, my male coaches. That's why there's been so much diversity in my life. Irish, Italian, Jewish, Black. I had a plethora of fathers, but 
the feedback that I would offer from that is to get diversity in your coaching and in your mentoring. We tend to align with people who think like us, look like us, come from where we come from. I liken it to a, a golfer's golf bat. He or she has a number of clubs in that bat. Three, a five, a seven, a nine, a putter, and you just name it. Golfers don't use the same club for every shot, depending on the shot, whether it's a wedge, whether it's a sand trap, whether they're putting, whether they're teeing off, they're going to use a different club. Well, because of my upbringing, I use a lot of different clubs to learn how to live. My Irish dad, my Italian dad, my Jewish mother, my black mom, my biological mom. And as a result, I learned how to think differently. And I find that a lot of us, as we grow and propel, we tend to align ourselves with people who are like us. And to me, that is using the same club for every hole. Wow. So I learned early on to use different clubs, i.e. different people for different situations. As a result, I learned how to connect with them. I learned what they thought. I learned what they believed in. I learned how to connect with them. So if I can connect with that person, now this client who's Jewish, this client who's Irish, this client who's Italian, this client who's a female, this client who's 30 years older than me, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the shot glass to prove it. I, I learned diversity and inclusion at an early age, 11 years old, and has played a profound role in how I show up today with my mentors, as well as people who I coach, as well as the clients that I call on. I'm not to speak your language because I learned it when I was 11, 12, 13 years old. I get it. What secret is a must-have to getting started and staying committed? To become allergic to mediocrity, to become allergic to wanting to be right, be. Because when we're fighting to be right, we're eliminating possibilities that can plus us. We have to stay open to growing. And we are so locked into my way, the highway, you don't know, okay? How can you learn when you're running your mouth? I love being the dumbest in the room. I'm sure Clifton, like you, your mother told you, if you're the smartest person in your group of friends, you need a new group of friends. So I, (laughs) I love availing myself to be poured into. And like you said, I have my doctorate degree, but even during that journey in class, I was listening to others listening to their points of view, their perspective, and how could I utilize that in what I currently do? I walked into that experience as a practitioner. The whole doctorate journey, scholarly journey, is that of a scholar, and you know that. And there's a difference between a scholar and a practitioner. Scholar, facts, measurement, it's proven. Practitioner, my thoughts, my belief, my stories. Now I've been able to merge them and now I have facts and stories measurements and beliefs but I did that because I allowed myself to be poured into because I could have stood up and did all my presentations and did what I do and motivate people 
but I had to turn me off for the duration of the experience. And pour it into, be humble, take it in, and now turn me back on. Wow. So I, I would say that to folks. Be a lifelong learner. Stop trying to be right. Just be. Birds don't try to fly. They just fly. Right. Don't try to swim. They just swim. Just be. We put so much pressure on ourselves to be the best, to be right, to be first. Just be and know that what you're going through is not always just for you. It's for the people who are going to benefit from your experience. Now that you've discovered the niche, how challenging it is to do what you do. <laughs> Here's a challenge. In my research, my, my doctorate dissertation was all on authenticity. So the challenge is staying true to my beliefs, my thoughts, my wants, in spite of the opposition. And the challenge comes in for me being a reformed people pleaser, not wanting to disappoint someone else because of my beliefs. And I am getting better because I hate disappointing people, but I can't lose sight of my journey, my beliefs, my goals. And every now and then, don't lose sight of self-care, taking care of you. Clifton, you know that adage about putting the oxygen mask on first. When you're on that airplane and they're going through the safety instructions and they tell you the oxygen mask comes down, they don't tell you to put it on other people. They tell you to put it on you. So if you are taking care of you, you're then able to take care of your children, your spouse, others that are near you. Mm. So part of taking care of you is being authentic. Wow. Real. Self-belief, self-awareness, and acting upon that. And it's challenging because when you do that, some people might be disappointed. And we get caught up in not wanting to disappoint people. Yeah. What has been your greatest struggle after you found your niche? It's Clifton, it's that. I'm a giver. I, for a number of years, have put me second and put others first. So my greatest struggle has been putting me first in spite of how the recipient may feel. Putting me first, my energy first, my beliefs first, my time first. Because to me, moments matter. And when I've given you all my time and I have three minutes left for me and I have a deadline, I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna get it done. That's my fault, I made a poor choice. I put your time first. What people typically say is, I made a mistake, you made a mistake second. You made a choice first. Mm. And people don't tend to say, oh, I made a poor choice. They say, I made a mistake. You're trying to absolve yourself from the choice you made. There's a difference between a choice and a mistake. Here you go. I'm driving down a road and I see a sign that says, the road is out. Don't proceed. And I proceed anyway. And I go over the cliff and crash. I made a poor choice that turned into a mistake. Yeah. Now, if I'm driving down the same road and there's no sign, and I came to drive, continue to drive, and I drive off the road, then I made a, a mistake because I didn't know there was no sign. So I made a mistake. But for a great majority of us, there are signs that say, don't do it. Here's the culture. 
here's the signs. That's not going to work. And then we say, oh, man, I made a mistake. No, dude, or do this. <laughs> made a poor choice. I likened it back to when I got married for the first time. <laughs> my mother, my brother, my grandmother, everybody in my family said, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. She's not the one. Don't do it. And seven years later, when we divorced, I couldn't say I made a mistake. I had to say I made a poor choice because all the signs said no. <laughs> No. Right, right, right. Accountabilities, responsibilities, owning your choices. And we have to do a better job of owning our choices. Mm. How important is it to be accurate in expressing your niche at the beginning of your journey? I'm just going to keep it 100. At that juncture early on, we don't know. We're trying to figure out our niche. But here's the thing. Once we develop a pattern... And once we're getting the results of that pattern, that's when we need to start adhering to what we're being told. At that juncture, that forms our thoughts, what we should do going forward. At that point is when we can start talking about where we should go forward. So your question was how accurate early on? I don't think we're smart enough. I don't think we're decisive enough. I don't think we have enough accumulated data start formulating facts. I think we're still in our discovery mode. After a period of time, we collect that data. We collect data. And after we've collected enough, that's when we need to act on it. And I learned by the time I was a teenager that if you're all in, no excuses, seeing obstacles, opportunities, and Clifton, I can give you a number of examples in my life of where the cards I was dealt suggested you're not going anywhere, but that wasn't my reality. It was play the cards, parents divorced at 11, single parent family, all white school, all black school, playing for a high school that from a football perspective and a baseball perspective didn't have a home field. Every game was on the road. Every game was against the opposition. All that did is pour into me that, okay, life is going to be hard. So what? What are you going to do with this? Every single game, JV varsity from 10th grade through 12th grade, you're on the road. So what? That helped formulate my mindset around Ivy League school. So what? When you tell me no, I say it's on. So what? <laughs> so, you turned around on him. I turned around. <laughs> what level of intensity does one need to have working to achieve their dream? If it's a scale of 1 to 10, 30. Wow. You got to bring it. Because most people are bringing 10. You got to bring it. If you want to get what others don't have, you have to will what they won't. Mm. You an opportunity whereby there are no excuses they're shaking their heads and they're like where did she come from where did he come from oh my gosh that's my intensity wow and I've taken to nationally internationally whether it's Saudi Arabia Shanghai Norway 
India, Malaysia. I'm bringing it. Yeah, I am bringing. People will say, "Well, well, well, Dr. James, when you go internationally, don't you curtail your message because of their cultural mores in the beginning?" Because I want to respect their values and their culture and their mores, but at some point during that journey. <laughs> <laughs> they turned it off on them. <laughs> Clinton, you're not going to bring Beyonce to China to not be Beyonce. Right. <laughs> you want her, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. You want, you right. want all. So right. you're going to get me. Yeah. Tensity personified. I'm bringing it. I'm bringing it. I'm not going to give you an excuse to say, <sighs> let's look at the next person. Right. Mm-mm. No. Mm. Now, I know this is a PG rated podcast, <laughs> but nah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that, brother. How frequent should one make time to develop their niche? As my friend likes to say, every day. Every. <laughs> That's if you ask someone. Just, just think about the Olympic athletes. How much of their lives do they give for the Olympic Games? Right. I mean, stop working. They stop doing this. And for this period of time, that's all they do. All they do. And, you know, with the Olympic athletes, the only person they remember is the gold medalist. Yeah. So the second and third best in the nation, in the world, and what you do. You're an afterthought. Mm. They just gold medalists. Wow. Think about the work they put in to position themselves to be the best. And I think we're lazy. I don't think we work in. I think we're working, working, working in YouTube. Working, working, working. Check my stocks. Working, working, working. Google. Yeah. Focus. Consistent. Mm. Hey. Last question that I have for you. How do you know when to change course versus staying focused on your goal? I change course when what I'm doing has reached its apex or peak. Or last year, rather, 2020. I had a lot of conversations with myself because people has, over the years have said, you need to do virtual, you need to do podcasts, you need to do all this technology stuff. And everything that I did up to that point was face-to-face. But now there was a 911, no one wanted face-to-face, so I was forced to pivot. Mm. Eventually I did, and things are going gangbusters as a result. But I wish I would have done that sooner. I wish I would have done it before the 911, before the emergency, because at some point I was thinking, wow, this is getting routine. This is getting tired. This is getting predictable. There's no creativity. There's nothing new to it. I'm doing the same thing again. So I would say when you get to that point where it seems routine, you're not being stretched, you're not learning, you're not growing, that there may be a time for a switch at that juncture. Hmm. Don't wait for the 911. Don't wait for the emergency. Don't wait for the pandemic. When you feel the same thing in your relationship, how many of you are in relationship with your partners and your spouses where it's like, okay, here we go again, different year, it's getting tired. 
the feel is gone. Pounce on that. Be proactive and not reactive. Mm. We have to consistently, as I say, grow through life and not go through life. Love it. And when we're growing through life, Cliff, we're being adventurous, we're taking risks, we're looking to be first, we're looking to be disruptive, we're looking to be innovative. We're not looking to fall in line with everyone else. We're starting our own line. And that's when you know you're making it happen. We have had a treat here today in the person of Dr. Jane Smith, Dr. Energy, so much insight, so much knowledge that he shared with us today. We're truly privileged to have him. And as you know, on a niche finder framework, our motto and mantra is always been and will be. If innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. Dr. James, before you go, I need to know <laughs> what is the best way that the niche finder community can get in contact with you? Take your time. No rush. Take your time. Get your fingers ready. Get to your screen, your computer, your smartphone and slowly type in Dr. James Smith Jr.com. That will take you to my website. You put in Dr. James Smith Jr. It'll take you to my Facebook, my LinkedIn, my Instagram, my Twitter. But don't rush. Take your time. Dr. James Smith <laughs> Jr. Either .com or just Jr. You will get me. And if you get me, you're in trouble. Cause I'm going to be a pain in your side. I'm going to push you to get out of your comfort zone. I'm going to push you to get comfortable being uncomfortable and to make it happen. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now I'm a now expert. I believe in people should always work on their tan and tan stands for T A N take action now. <laughs> wow. Love it. Love it. Love it. And so, again, privilege having such a, a, a wealth of information in the person of Dr. Energy, Dr. James Smith Jr. And visit us also on dreamoctane.org where we will be having for you the latest and greatest and how to find your niche through free seminars and other offerings that we have to help improve and accelerate the journey that you have for your own life. Thank you again for tuning in. We look forward to having you on our next episode where we will be interviewing just another expert to help you on, on your journey. Thanks again for tuning in and we appreciate everything that you are about and what you are about to be. Thank you again. Love it. Love it.